What, if anything, is happening below the surface in the US Republican Party, ahead of next year's big battles, developments, attitudes that might not be making headlines? We're well into what's known as the invisible primary now, the period before the start of the official voting and caucusing. Uh, But the candidates are already jockeying for attention and media coverage, as you've no doubt seen. And no matter which way you look at it, Donald Trump's in the lead for the Republican nomination, despite multiple indictments against him at both state and federal levels, as, as most polls show. But there are other more nuanced surveys that offer a deeper sense of how grassroots Republicans are leaning and which show the nomination may be more competitive than we might think. Seth Maskett is a professor of political science at the University of Denver in Colorado and director of the Centre on American Politics. And he's charted some interesting, less reported attitudes lately. I'm very keen to hear his analysis. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, Look, despite the dominance right now of Donald Trump, you've come to the conclusion, uh, Seth, that the nomination's likely to become more competitive. Tell us what's brought you to that realisation, please. Well, there's a few things. Um, One, I've been doing this survey uh, of uh, county chairs in the Republican Party all across the country, uh, trying to get a sense of uh, what they're thinking. They're, They're sort of the which you might call like the middle elite or the middle management of the party. And Trump still has important leads there, uh, but uh, he's not walking away with it. As you know, he's not very far ahead. There's quite a few who are, uh, quite a few of these party chairs who say that they're undecided. They're expecting Donald Trump will be the nominee, but they have not yet come out um, in full support of him. Yeah, just now drill down a little bit more for us, please, in exactly what you ask, because the wording, your wording is quite interesting. And then the sort of gradation of thought that you're seeming to tease out of them. Yeah, well, I'm trying to understand just how they're thinking of the contest at this point. And so I, I asked them about their support in a couple of different ways. Um, one is that I simply asked them, are you committed to a candidate at this point? And I've been asking them uh, this question uh, this whole year, uh, four different waves of a survey uh, since February. And pretty much every time, about half of them say that they're uncommitted. Now, you know, they could be interpreting this question different ways. They might just think it's, it's inappropriate for a county chair to be committed at this point. But, um, you know, some of them are just not coming down one way or the other. Among those who are committed... Um, you know, interestingly, Donald Trump and uh, Ron DeSantis, who's the governor of Florida, they were pretty much tied in the first wave of the survey. Uh, but ever since then, Trump has had a pretty substantial lead uh, over everyone else. But I've asked a, a couple of other questions. I've also asked, um, um, who are you considering as a candidate? That's, that is, you know, which mm-hmm. candidates are you open to? And that, you know, judging by that, it looks like a much more open contest. Um, And interestingly, Donald Trump has not been in the lead in that one. Um, You know, more than half of the chairs say that they're, you know, they're interested in Trump, but uh, quite a few are not. And uh, interestingly, Ron DeSantis has been the lead in this category. He's had, um, you know, somewhere between two thirds and three quarters of chairs say that they're open to him. Um, And a few other candidates have done pretty well in this category as, as they become better known. Um, and that's interestingly what one of the one of the interesting variables here is that at least at the beginning of this, most of these other candidates besides Trump were simply were not that well known. And right. as they're making more campaign appearances and appearing on TV more and doing debates, uh, these county chairs are, are getting to know these folks a little better. The um, 
The, the final question I asked them uh, is, who do you not want to see as your party's nominee? And, uh, you know, there's a few people on there that aren't too much of a surprise. You know, it's, it's mostly the people who have been saying very critical things about Donald Trump. Um, Chris Christie, the former governor of New Jersey, Asa Hutchinson, the former governor of Arkansas. But also, interestingly, Donald Trump has been fairly high on this list for a while now. You have like 30 to 40 percent of chairs who say that they definitely don't want Trump to be their party's nominee. They think that would be a bad idea. Now, honestly, I think that um, listeners will be stunned to hear that because we're not getting that coverage in Australia. Is there, is there something about those people that you want to uh, highlight? That, that, that Why would that be the case? Well, even within his own party, Donald Trump is a very polarizing figure. And, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to see why, you know, he's expected to be the nominee. If you look at, you know, either these surveys or in just surveys of Republican voters, um, you know, he is by far the preferred candidate, but only with a little over about 50 percent. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a, a fair chunk of the party that has all along has been open to someone else and has been concerned that uh, Trump is causing their party to lose elections, that he's he's not right for the for the office. Um, and we saw this, honestly, we saw this sort of thing in the 2016 election cycle as well, where, you know, there was a pretty sizable chunk of the party that was opposed to him, but their support was scattered across a lot of different other candidates. And even when they could unify, they didn't have quite the numbers, quite the enthusiasm to stop in. And at least in 2016, you know, the moment he won the nomination, the moment he was named the party's nominee at the convention, that, uh, you know, that opposition to him within the party essentially fell apart. And most of the rest of the party just backed him as their nominee. And that, that may be what happens this year as well. But at least right now, you know, there is, you know, maybe 40 or so percent of the party that has pretty strong concerns about him. But they, uh, you know, they don't get as much attention um, and they, uh, they're, they're not as organised at this point. So all of these, the amount of publicity he's going to be getting because of these various indictments, I wonder how you think that'll play out on these very type of people you're describing, sort of dispersed, um, not especially well organised, and by the sound of you, um, not necessarily full of confidence either in who else they might go for. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that is the thing is that they've uh, the, the people opposed to Trump within the Republican Party. It's, it's never been clear to them just who their obvious champion is. Uh, they don't know who could actually defeat him um, if it came down to it. I mean, they, they have, you know, the, the, the number of candidates who are running against him. There's actually some pretty high qualified people um, with some considerable campaign skills. But, you know, as in 2016, uh, you know, th there's no one really trying to coordinate efforts behind just one of these candidates as an alternative. Um, and that, that vote looks pretty splintered. I and we've, we've seen that in reaction to uh, the, uh, some of the indictments against Donald Trump so far. I mean, th this has been actually one of the more striking things in this race is that uh, the, the first, you know, probably the, the best thing that Donald Trump did for his candidacy so far was to get indicted. Um, you know, very strangely, that that caused a lot of the party to consolidate support behind him. Um, his numbers went up after his first round of indictments in April. And one of the things that really struck me with that is that, you know, there, there was a fair amount of the party that was backing Ron DeSantis at that point. 
Most of the new supporters Trump got after his indictment, they, they hadn't been undecided. They were people who had been supporting DeSantis. So they'd already found a candidate that they liked and then decided to move over into Trump's camp. Mm, but so he didn't. That, that DeSantis to, didn't do himself any favors, though. The way he's he he's not a, a man. As I've read as devoid of charm. He may have other things going for him, <laughs> but charm is not one of them. And that's become more and more evident. So it may. Well, I'm wondering if it's really a turn to Trump or it's just a sort of a a drift from DeSantis. Um, I well, given how sharp that that switch was back in April, and you know, given the timing of it. You know, that, that seemed to be something that, uh, that Trump was sending a signal. There had been, um, you know, coming out of last year, out of the, we had the congressional midterm elections here in, in November of 2022, um, in which Republicans very much underperformed. And there was just sort of this broad narrative that they underperformed in large part because of Donald Trump, that he had backed very bad candidates, that he made the election too much about himself. And at least for a few months, there was a, a sense that the party was trying to pivot away from him and look for someone new. Um, once the indictment started, that seemed to move things in the other direction. Huh. Um, and so, you know, I, I agree with you. I don't think DeSantis did himself many favors, but I think that was really more about Trump and, and the party's reaction to him. I noticed Carl Rove, the very uh, well-known um, operative, political operative um, from George Bush's time, he ma- had a, an interesting piece in the Wall Street Journal during the week suggesting that Donald Trump did make a mistake by not turning up to that first debate. Uh, and he felt that that Nikki Haley defined herself very well as a different kind of conservative. She blamed both parties for spending too much and she emphasised the need for a new generation of leaders. Now, have you picked up anything like that or is that something he wants to see? I So I, we, we did see some of that, uh, that reaction to Nikki Haley. Interestingly, in my latest round of surveys, I was conducting the survey through the month of August, um, Haley was doing considerably better than she had in previous surveys. Um, there were more people who were interested in her candidacy. There were fewer people opposed to her. And most of that movement came before the debate. So I, you know, I didn't necessarily pick that up beforehand. I didn't know, uh, but I know she's been doing a number of campaign appearances in places like Iowa and New Hampshire. Um, and there seemed to be some people who were interested in her. And she had, I think, what was pretty widely regarded as one of the strongest debate performances at the end of August. Um, she came off looking like, um, you know, like a, like a very competent kind of traditional candidate. Um, and there's been some recent polling, you know, showing just matchups of various Republicans against Joe Biden. And she was actually polling the strongest against Biden. Um, you know, if, if, if the party were somehow to nominate her, I think they'd have a pretty good chance of winning. Now, um, I don't know that I agree with Karl Rove about uh, Trump making a mistake and not showing up at that debate. Uh, it's if you just look at overall polls, I don't think he's, he hasn't Trump really hasn't lost much ground by not participating. Um, he still, you know, has a very dominant lead. And had he been there, you know, it would have the the entire debate would have been about him. It would have been him making noise and people responding to that. Look, um, a final question, really, just the question of retirement and age. I noticed Mitt Romney uh, has decided to retire and he actually says he's joining bipartisan gangs uh, of people, uh, which is very interesting. But I mean... Um, you know, Mitch McConnell, we've got Nancy Pelosi re, uh, re-standing and so on, and Biden. How much, in 30 seconds, how much is that playing to people's thoughts in America? 
It is a concern. I think there's been just sort of a general concern about, you know, the 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 aging of our political class. Um, it's pretty substantial. It happens to be that, you know, American voters are, are relatively old, th- those I who think, turn out to... I, th- I think I'm terribly sorry. I've misjudged the time and we're going to have to go. Look, thank you so much oh, for joining no us. <laughs> Seth <laughs> Maskett, we're back after eight. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.